Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, if I can give you some historical and geographical background, I think this would be important for us, only because of the context of this section. We'll be looking at verses 16 right through 21. Our Lord has traveled, now we're two and a half years into his ministry, where he has gone throughout the entire land of Israel from the north to the south and has preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the king, the long-awaited Messiah, the king has come. Israel awaited him, blessed art thou, thou son of David. They waited for that son of David to come, and he came. And of course, overwhelmingly, the world rejected him. He came unto his own his own people, Israel, and they received him not. So as he was teaching and preaching the gospel, he, he, uh, he gave short insights into one day, one day, I'm going to bring together the Gentiles and the Jew. It was hinted at on several different occasions. For example, earlier in Matthew, many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with my father who is in the kingdom of heaven, meaning Gentile nations as well. But primarily, his ministry has been to the Jewish people because that's whom, to whom he was sent. But he's preaching the gospel, the same gospel, of course, that applies to us. Both Peter, Paul, James, and John have informed us of that. But as he's been teaching the gospel, now, the last six months of his life, the gospel preaching is reducing in that he's focusing upon his disciples. He's focusing upon his Jewish disciples. Why? Because they are going to be the teachers and preachers of the Word of God. They are going to be the first century church as we know it uh, today. And so as he's doing that, he's lessening on this side, the gospel, and uh, inviting more specifically the disciples to pay attention. And uh, you can see that as you wind through the last six months of uh, the Savior. For this particular section of scriptures, he's traveled to one of the northernmost parts of the land of Israel, and that is Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar, Philip. Uh, there was Caesarea on the coast, Caesarea Maritima, that was the maritime Caesarea, but the northern section, Caesarea Philippi, an entirely different city, uh, was there in dedication to Philip, and uh, there was always, always, always a contingency of Romans around, Roman soldiers, there was a synagogue, there was all of that business going on. However, in this particular area, it was an interesting area because uh, in this particular area, this is where the tribe of um, Joseph, not Joseph, the tribe of Dan was supposed to be. They were given the, the area along the coastline under Joshua's rule, and Joshua, under Joshua's rule, Dan did not completely take over that area. As a matter of fact, they were pushed out of that area by the Canaanite nations, and God had them, uh, God didn't have them, they moved north to get away from those hostile people. They could have taken the land, they should have taken the land, but they did not take the land because they did not trust God. It's just that simple. And so they moved north, and they began to mingle among the uh, Canaanite people up in the hills. They were more at peace, they did not have the trouble they had along the coast, but before too long, they began to capitulate. What do I mean by that? Before too long, they began to give in to the pagan ways. And as sadly as you can possibly imagine, there are altars up in that area, Caesarea Philippi in the north, there are altars to where they began to sacrifice their own children to pagan gods. The altars still exist today. 
a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. If you begin to capitulate and give into the world and its system, pretty soon you'll be like the world. We have to be extra careful of that. And that's a good example of things that happen in, uh, during biblical days. Okay, this area is about 30, about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. This area is one of the most beautiful and magnificent areas in all the land of Israel. The whole land of Israel is known for different landscapes and beauties. Within 100 miles, you, you change geographically just marvelously from the hills of Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee, then the Dead Sea, and you can all, ride all this in just a couple days. It's magnificent. It takes a couple days to get across Texas, and the whole land of Israel is available to you uh, in just that short period of time. Different uh, geography settings, but this is perhaps the most beautiful. What it is, it's on, at the foothills of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is one of the largest mountains in all the nation of Israel, and it's snow-capped several months out of the year. And from Mount Hermon, primarily from Mount Hermon, comes the waters of the Jordan River. If you travel there, you would think it was magnificent. It's just like going up to northern New Hampshire to Conway and seeing on the Kangamangas Highway the same type of river, crystal clear, flowing down through beautiful rocks. You can see fish all over the place. Just a magnificent, magnificent place. But tucked within that magnificent place is one of the most devastating pagan temples ever erected in the land of Israel. It was to the god Pan, or Pan, Pan. This god was, uh, it was of course the imagination of man's heart. There was no such god, but it was imagination of man's heart. This god, Pan, was half man and half horse. He also played what's called a Pan flute, a, a mini-reeded flute, and with the, supposedly in Greek mythology, he would call uh, it was all, it was, let me say this, it was clothed in immoral wickedness, the whole business. As most religions are, after a while they begin to uncover themselves and you see the immorality and the wickedness uh, framed within the thinking. At, at least in, in this particular situation, uh, this God, imaginary God, Pan, he, they built a giant, giant uh, temple to him. Much of the footings of that temple are, uh, are there today to see. They're right at the face of a giant cliff, and it seems out of the center of that temple complex comes these waters that travel several miles underground, and they bubble up right there at this temple worship of the god, god Pan. It's important to realize, please, and, and I think that we need to recognize that this it was all absolutely demonic. It was all absolutely demonic. Your mind and my mind can go astray on its own, can it not? When you're not walking in the power of the Spirit, your mind, we need to be extra careful all the time. That's why we need to walk in the new man and put off the old man. We need to stop the corrupt uh, thinking of the old man and put on the new man, uh, the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God. But all of these images that were erected in Israel, God... Uh, calls them demonic. And what that means is there is a Satan and demons. Now, some may, maybe there's someone here this morning, I do not know you all, but maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't believe in angels and demons, but God believes in them because God talks about them. 
Not only that, he said he created them. So your argument is with the Lord, not me, if you don't believe in him. But recognize that these demonic, these evil fallen angels, their whole basis is to uh, discredit God and his word. That's their whole agenda. And so when you read Greek mythology and you read, and I don't make a habit of this, I do find it in context sometimes, but when you read this Greek mythology, you'll find out some things actually really happen. Some things can actually really happen. But that should not surprise you. It does not surprise me. Why? Because God's word said that these things can and will happen. Now, I want to show you some of this only because of, of uh, a recognition here that things go on in this world and they may seem miraculous to us. But in reality, they're demonic. In reality, they're demonic. Head with me one place very quickly. Uh, I'd like you to go, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> and what happens with this miraculous is that it draws people away from God to the event. It draws people away from God's word to an actual event that took place. It could be what is is described as a miraculous event, and really it's demons behind the scene pulling and pushing and pulling the strings of the event. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 13. This is so important. The nation of Israel is warned. Remember, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel prior to their getting into the land of Israel. This is just before Joshua brings them in there. Moses is writing the book, and Moses lets them know, be very careful not to forget God. Be very careful about those people in that land. Don't seek after mediums and wizards and, and that type of, you know, we call some, we call some of it uh, uh, light magic, you know. Don't be part of any of that, God says. Behind that, behind that there's demonic powers. And so we look, if we could, at Deuteronomy chapter 13. Notice, please, in verse 1. If there arise among you, a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, 13.1, and give it the sign or a wonder. So there's all kinds of people out there that are just uh, simply out there talking about signs and wonders, and you've probably uh, seen the signs out there, card reading and, and uh, read your palm, read the balls of your feet, you know, stuff like that. It's just... It's beyond me what's out there, and it's beyond me that people even go. Our nation is inundated with that. There's all kinds of these people out there. They, there was a channel for a while called the Psychic Channel. The Psychic Channel. And, and, and there were tens of dozens of these people every day on the Psychic Channel. It went out of business. And I heard someone say, you think they would have known that, right? You know. <laughs> But these psychic people, and they, they, they say things, and lo and behold, some of it even works. Imagine that. Oh, well, see, they have special power. Yeah, but it's not God. It's not God. So Moses said, there's going to be people that are going to come in, and those people that have come in, they're going to show you a sign no wonder. Now notice verse 2. And the sign or wonder come to pass. See, they said something. They said something, and it actually happened. And you may get excited about that. 
there's a religion out there that they believe that Mary uh, comes and shows apparitions to them every once in a while. And it's amazing to see people crawl on their knees, crawl on their belly. They do all kinds of things to these places that there was apparitions. It's, it's frightening to see. But recognize this, something could have happened there. Something could have happened. But it's not God. That's the important part to recognize. Something could have happened, but it's not God. And they show you a sign of wonder, uh, whereof they spoke unto thee, and saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. What does God say about that? See, they're drawing you away from the living God. They're telling you to do something that's extra biblical, that's godly. And can I say this? There is nothing that's extra biblical that's godly. Nothing. Nothing at all. But they, there's a sign, you see, it was a wonder, and people flocked to it. You, I don't know if you folks were here many years ago, I don't remember exactly how many years, there was a building in downtown Providence that the window cracked, and it was a thermopane window. Does anyone remember this? A thermopane window, the window cracked, and of course, when thermopane windows crack, little green things start growing in there. Don't ask me how they get in, I don't understand any of it, but they're in there, and they start to grow, and it looked like Mary. There were traffic jams all downtown Providence, flocking to see Mary. What, what is it? Moss inside of a window? See, thinking it was a sign. It, these things can get so out of hand because of the world that we live in that we need to be extra careful that they don't draw us away from the Lord to this thing. And so he says, if they say, let's serve a God you don't know, let's serve a uh, a situation that you don't know and may I add this and it's not written in the word of God don't do it don't do it if it's not written in the word of God if God does not give his license to it stay far away from it why it will draw you away from God pick it up in verse 3 again thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dream of dreams for the Lord your God tests you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul See, it's all going to be around us, but God is, is drawing us to himself and away from these things. He uses these things to cause us to be closer to him rather than to flock to looking for signs and wonders. So there was this pagan deity with a magnificent program and a magnificent temple, and people were flocking to it and being drawn to that, uh, this imaginary God. But God tells us, and it's a warning to New Testament Christians, God warns us that today, in the days we live in, the last days, we're not in the tribulation, the last part of the last days, but in the last days, that there will be signs and wonders that will be performed. People are seeing Jesus in the desert. Did you know that? That's what they're saying. They're seeing him in the clouds. Did you ever see that? My, my wife and I have a running joke, and she, you know, she sees uh, animals in the clouds, and the kids see animals in the clouds, and my, 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 my children see animals in the clouds, and I'm looking, they're just clouds. I don't get it. But some people see Jesus in the clouds. Here's what God's Word said. You won't see him again, and when you see him, the next time he comes, there'll be no question it's him. He's going to come as a king of kings and lord of lords. There'll be no question so if you have to question, was that Jesus, it wasn't. It wasn't. Whoever told you it was is 100% wrong. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. 
Don't do it at all. Why? They could be one of these people warned about in the book of Deuteronomy. See, we need to be very careful. So this imaginary God pun, and with that came all kinds of vile Im immorality among them. And what's interesting about this is uh, th this entire group of people, because of their uh, ethnic backgrounds, most of them, they, called the, they could not pronounce the word pan, P-A-N, so they, they called them ban. Today it's known as the banyas, the banyas, not the panyas because they couldn't pronounce the letter P. There's a similar ethnic group of people in the land of Israel today, uh, the Arab people, and they have a very difficult time, particularly in Israel, saying the letter P. My wife and I uh, traveled to Israel back several years ago, uh, actually t more than 20 years ago now, and we were in the land of Israel, and, and there was my wife, myself, a friend of ours, and his wife, and we, we went to the mall, the only mall that was in Israel at the time. We went there to get something to eat, and then we were going to head back to our complex that we were staying in. And I asked the guide, now 20 years ago, remember the PLO was still blowing up buses and things, kidnapping Americans right in Israel. So we went, um, I asked the guide, whom I know fairly well, I said, I said, how am I going to know what cab to get into? I thought that was a reasonable question, don't you? He said, well, you have to ask the cab driver, because there were PLO cab drivers and there were Israeli cab drivers. He said, you have to ask the cab driver to say the letter P. Well, what am I going to ask him? My friend said, tell him to say Peter Piper picked a peck a pick a bird. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how we did it, but we get him to say the letter P just by asking him questions and things. And finally, he took us uh, to our hotel room and the ride. I was scared to death. I would have almost rather get in a PLO cab. This guy was crazy. But that was the same ethnic, ethnic group. So if you look up this area of Pan, don't be surprised to see it's called the Banyas. The Banyas there in northern Israel. Now, we want to continue on just a minute for that because this idols, these gods that are all around us today that people imagine, uh, there's all kinds of things, folks. There's, there's spaceships that are supposedly coming down, and there's Martians running around, and, and, and there's a, a large group of people that actually see these things and, or believe they see these things. And is it no wonder God says we need to be careful about signs and wonders? We need to be careful. If it's not written in the Bible, it's not true. It can be physically seen. It might even be mentally comprehended, but recognize that demonic forces are at work in the world in which we live. Head with me, please, one more place on this subject. Just one more place. Head with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 9. Now, you folks that are familiar with uh, the, what's called eschatology, the study of end times. We'll recognize this. The whole book of 2 Thessalonians was written for Paul to tell these folks that, at the Thessalonican church to recognize that all these aspects of the end times are going to come to pass. The last days are going to come to pass. This happens to be in what we call the Great Tribulation Period. It's a time in which the Antichrist will rule the world. Now, I'm sure that many of you have heard this. But notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, talking about this Antichrist. Even him, the person of Antichrist, even him 
whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And they will deceive many. Many, many people will be deceived by this Antichrist in the last days. I won't have you turn to it because we need to get into our text. But in, in the book of uh, the Revelation, we read there's another party coming on the scene called the false prophet. And he also will be able to perform signs and wonders. What kind of signs and wonders? This false prophet is seem, seemingly can give life unto an image of the Antichrist. So this is all part of what we know to be uh, truth from God's word. And God warns us that in the latter days, the days I perceive that we live in, the latter days, it says, some shall be depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. If, if you don't believe that, you need to look around. If, if you don't believe that, you really need to open your spiritual eyes and look around and see what's going on. Many, many people are giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. They're called today the church, believe it or not. And we have great warning about this within the word of God, about this deception that's to come. And so we have uh, a former basketball coliseum down in Texas with tens of thousands of people in the place listening to a man say every Sunday he's on your television, he's on your radio. Listen to him every Sunday say, your best life is now. You, he's saying that. He's telling people, don't be afraid of hell. There's no hell. A good God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Well, my Bible says the opposite of that is true. That's a lying, a lying wonder, a lying sign. So we need to recognize that it's among us, it's it's part of it. Head with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, God warns the people of Israel in the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament book. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah. I'm interested in chapter 10, please. Remember, Jeremiah is just before the great destruction by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in for the last time, and he's going to totally disband and dismantle the nation of Israel. They'll be in captivity for 70 years and then be released back into the land of Israel. But Jeremiah is warning them. Why? Because there are many, many false prophets in this area. And you've heard them. You've seen them. They say something like this. God has spoken to me. And I say, sir, what did he say? Because if God speaks today audibly to someone, we need to write it down, don't we? we, we we've got to write that down. Why? Because... God's speaking to people audibly today? That's called prophecy, and these people would actually call themselves prophets. If God's giving more revelation today, then we need to write it down. They say, well, not, it's not really revelation, it's illumination, but it's already in the book. God said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. What word? That's the word you hold in your hands. It's completed, the Lord Jesus said. Can't add anything to it. And don't you dare subtract anything from it. So we recognize that within the criteria of what's going on, not, there's nothing new under the sun. This was going on in Caesarea Philippi with these demonic people bringing in the same, the same aspect of, uh, you don't need God. Look, at we have this Greek God here. The only problem with that poor Greek God is he didn't exist. He didn't exist. He wasn't real. 
He was an evil imagination of men. Head with me to Jeremiah 10. Let's, let's look at this, please. In verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, for the Lord speaks unto you, O house of Israel. Listen up, people, he says. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, this is the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heavens, for the nations are dismayed at them. Don't, don't you get caught up with that business, see? You concentrate more on me, God's saying. The nations, they, they love that stuff. That titillates them. That tickles their ears. It, it makes flutters in their body. That's what they believe, but it's contrary to me. You listen to me. Verse 3, for the customs of the people are vain. One cutteth a tree out of the forest and, and the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers. They, they uh, notice, that they move not. These, these things don't have life. They're, they're statues. This happens even in Rhode Island, don't they? They, they move a, a, a statue down the street and people put money on it. I was wondering if you put a picture of me, how much cash you'd get. <laughs> but people actually do that. They say, well, we're not really worshiping the statue. Yes. You are. Yes, you are. Recognize in verse, uh, verse 5. Uh, they are upright like the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born. They've got to be carried around. They can't walk because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Also, uh, neither also is it in them to do good. They're just wood. It's just wood, that's all it is. It's just a statue, that's all it is. There's nothing in front of it, there's nothing behind it, except demonic worship. Devils, doctrines of demons. Continue on. For as much as there is none like thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations, for to thee doth it appertain, for as much as I am as among all the wise men of the nations and in all the kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. But they, these people and these statues, but they are all together, my King James says, stupid, if you don't like that word, I'm sorry. They are all together stupid and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. Behind it is nothing but fleshly desires. Behind it is nothing but a fleshliness. We'll skip down to verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide in his indignation. Thus she shall say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. So our Lord Jesus is there at the foot of this temple with this pagan deity, with demonic beings all over the place. And he says to his disciples, back with me to Matthew chapter 13. He says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, picture this moment. Picture, this is a defining moment in the lives of these men. He says, who? Pick it up in Matthew chapter 13 and in, uh, did I say 13? 16, I'm sorry, Matthew 16. <clears throat> I have to go out to pasture very quickly here. Matthew uh, chapter 16, look at verse 13. 
When Jesus came onto the borders of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do men say? You get the scene? You get the picture? You recognize his demonic powers all over the place? He's in the last part of his ministry here on earth. He's focusing on these men, and he wants to know, Who do men uh, say that I am? Notice we'll pick it up, and we'll look at this just a little bit next week. I won't have to get into the background as much. Who do men say that I am? And, and they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist was killed. And even, uh, even the group that killed him said, we made a big mistake here. <laughs> John the Baptist has come back from the dead and, because they were attributing what John did uh, to the Lord Jesus. Some say you're John the Baptist or baptized him. Others say you're Elijah, and we'll see this next week. There was a promise that Elijah would come back to earth and rule and reign. And, and then others say that you're Jeremiah, and we'll see uh, one of the other prophets. So everyone's attributing the powers and the work of our Lord Jesus to one, perhaps one of the Old Testament uh, saints. And then he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? What a defining moment. I know that's what the people are saying. He didn't have to ask the question because he wasn't sure. He knew it, and he had to get it from them, the profession of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted it from them. And Peter, Peter spoke up, and notice what he says. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He recognized the person the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's interesting about this is Jesus doesn't say, good job, good, good job. You're really something special, Peter. Who did he attribute it to? And Jesus answered and said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. You can only truly recognize, realize, and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God by the power of God himself. You can only do that. You can't find them by looking hard. You can't find them because you're really smart. The world, by wisdom, knew not God. It's a spiritual work of God in the heart of man. I knew all about God. I grew up in a religious system that had a lot of statues around, that had uh, certain prayers you said for everything. There was a book of prayers for everything, and, and you had to say those prayers exactly this way. And I remember getting my knuckles whacked by a woman who wore funny clothing and <laughs> whacked my knuckles for not saying it right. I remember those things. And I'm in kindergarten. Kindergarten didn't last long there. <laughs> They asked my parents to come and get me, much to their chagrin. It was horrible, horrible. But anyway, um, and by the way, Nancy and I went to that kindergarten together. Yeah, we didn't know each other back then. She finally woke up and found. <laughs> <clears throat> but there was prayers. There's a routine. You had to do this routine methodically. You had to do it right. You had to make sure it was all in order, all in line. And I did that stuff. Nancy's brother was 
dying of cancer at age 12, and we went back to the church. We were doing the, the, the building that they have, all the glass stained, and we were doing the Stations of the Cross. We were doing all that. We didn't know what to do. Here's a child dying. So we did religious things, but I did not know the Savior. I knew his name. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Most of my information came to those people, and they were wrong. Funny, later on, after I became a Christian, I went and I challenged a couple of those guys about what the Bible says and about what they're teaching, and they quickly dismissed me. But what's interesting about the whole business is one day, after one year of hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, from my wife, who showed me a, a Christ-like life, and from the church I was going to that I was trying to protect her from, uh, all that time, one particular day, I know where I was and I know when it was, I do not remember the day, I realized that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me, and I called him my Savior. That I was a sinner without hope, headed for eternal damnation, because he paid the way. And up to that point, I rejected it. That's the enlightenment that Peter now has. That's the glory that enters his life. And this is so interesting. Why? Because this is prior to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus had told his disciples in John chapter 16, he's coming, he, he, he's coming, and you can't understand everything I'm telling you now, but when he, the Spirit of God, has come, then you'll understand that. This is prior to that event happening because that doesn't come to Pentecost after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. But Peter here speaks up, and the Lord Jesus says, Peter, God has opened the eyes of your understanding. And Peter was gloriously enlightened by this. And then the Lord gives him a commission, and we're going to see that. It's interesting, the religion I belonged to before I became a Christian uh, they believed that Peter was the first pontiff. That's what they believed. And they believe it because of this passage of Scripture. And I want to show you what God's Word says about this. Peter was not a pontiff. He was a piece of work sometime, wasn't he? <laughs> he was no different than you and I. No different than you and I. Just a sinner saved by God's glorious grace. Amen. Did he make mistakes? Of course he did. But he was, God chose him uniquely and specifically to be a writer of magnificent books of the Bible that we possess today, including, of course, 1st and 2nd Peter. But it's God's word that opened the eyes of his understanding. And you know what? God says that about New Testament Christians today. God will open the eyes of your understanding and illumination when you go into the word of God. The Spirit of God, using the Word of God, will open the eyes of your understanding. It's called illumination. And for unsaved people, God will open their ears unto salvation. Now, we're going to look at this next week. And I know there could be some controversy here, but all I got is next week and I'm going to run away. But everyone has an opportunity to believe. Whosoever will may come. At that time of illumination, you have opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever will may come, but whosoever won't, won't come. God's word is very defying here, and we want to look at this together the next time we're together. But I have run completely out of time, 
keep, please keep in your mind, if you forget everything else, I understand, but keep in mind the setting, the setting that this at, the time that they're at. R recognize what's going on here. And we're going to see uh, the magnificent development of this. And you know what's so interesting? In verse 21, and uh, verse 20, then charged he the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. What's that about? Well, we're going to see that next week, Lord willing. So come back. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your glorious word. Father, thank you for such a, a time and a place as this written in the scriptures forever. This world will pass away. Uh, the, whole, the whole business of creation will pass away and your word will still, still remain. Father, we know people look for signs and wonders. They look for things outside of the Bible. They want to be tickled. They want to see. They want to hear. But you have written in the book of life for us to know. And so, Father, help us not to seek after these things, not to set our affections on things below, but on above, where Christ sits on the right hand of the Father. We have an instruction book, a pure instruction book, a perfect instruction book. It's not hard to understand. You have given us direction through your Spirit to read it, to understand it. Peter has told us none of these things are of any private interpretation. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit who was in us to illuminate us. I do pray this morning, Lord, perhaps there's someone in this room that's putting their trust in a system. Maybe they're putting their trust in their own good works. Maybe they're putting their trust in their heritage. Trust in something other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for their sins. Father, help them to recognize, help them to realize that he was the one and only sacrifice of God. He is the one and only source of eternal life. And no matter how many cults, how many groups, how many sects, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what they try to prove, it's demonic because it is an attempt to draw us away from you. So, Father, I pray that no matter what people put their trust in, they would come to know that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but by him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.